Lord bless you. You may be seated today. The book of Hosea is what you would call at the beginning of the Minor Prophets. Hosea is a, an interesting uh, narrative, although it, the thread that runs through it is all common through all of the prophets. It's essentially the Lord reaching out to Israel through a prophetic voice saying, You have left me and I want you to come back to me. But this time it's interesting because God uses a piece in the story. His name was Hosea. He was a prophet of the Lord. And in order to get the message to the people, the Lord said, I don't just want you preaching the message. You're going to live what I'm telling the people. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you that after 25 years or so of preaching, I have found that it's, it's definitely easier to preach something than it is to live something. And... Uh, the Lord told Hosea, he said, you're getting ready to walk in the shoes that, that come with the word that I'm putting in your spirit. And the word of the Lord came to this man who had done nothing wrong. To our knowledge, he was a, a holy man. He was a righteous man. There was no fault in him whatsoever. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to go take a wife. Now listen, I'm just going to talk to you plain right here. When Hosea, the King James Version, says it, it means exactly what it says. He said, I want you to go get a whore. And make her your wife. I want you to go get a woman who has lived a promiscuous life, who has been with God only knows how many men, and I want you to make her your wife. The Lord did not tell him to assess the risk. He did not tell him this is how much it's going to cost. He said, I want you to go find a woman of whoredoms, and I want you to make her your wife. And so Hosea said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do it. He said, because I'm sending a message to my people that although you have committed adultery on me, I'm going to reconcile you to a relationship with me because my relationship to you is not predicated or built or based on all the good decisions or bad decisions that you have made. My love for you is greater than your mistake. Now, I'm already preaching right now, and you may not realize it because I didn't spit to the back row. There is something powerful about the love of God that you've got to get down in your spirit today. You will never be good enough to deserve the mercy of God. You can never do enough good things to deserve the mercy of God. It wasn't because I deserved it that he came. He came in that while I was yet a sinner and I was far from God, he loved me enough to come to me. The story of the prodigal is so amazing in Luke chapter 15, and I don't want to get hung up here, but it's so amazing because the focus is always so much on the prodigal and the decisions that he made, and he goes to a citizen, joins himself to a citizen of a far country, and there he has what we call the pig pen experience, a Hebrew boy. Imagine that. A Hebrew boy in a pig pen feeding swine. And when it finally got to the place that he had ran out of all of his resources, he starts feeding himself what he's been feeding swine. Wasn't even allowed to eat the, the swine. Wasn't even allowed to eat the, the hog. But he was eating what he was feeding the hog. And there was a pivotal moment in the story. The word said that he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he started asking questions that should have been asked before he ever left the house, to be honest with you. 
He started talking about how good it was at home. He started talking about how many servants in his father's house had it better than he did. He started talking about the food, thinking, dreaming about how it was when he was at home. You know, the story would have been powerful if the boy would have never left home and just stayed there. But it takes on a whole different light in realizing that God knows how to deal with people in the furthest pig pen from their father's house. It may not look like to you that God is doing anything, but you don't even know what God has been speaking to their heart. I don't know. It's not recorded, but I've got to believe that one night that old boy was laying in that pig pen and he was wallowing around. He was living below his means and there was a dream that came to him and he saw a a feast at his father's house and all the table was spread in splendor. It was beautiful. Can I tell you right now that all it takes is one visitation, one dream, one moment from God that can wake up a prodigal and say, I know you've ran far from the Father, but it's still better in the Father's house. And when he finally comes to himself, and oh, what a moment that is. You have to. You have to come to yourself. No amount of preaching is going to make you come to yourself. I've seen people sit in services just like this and hear exactly what they needed to hear. But it changed nothing in their life because they hadn't come to themselves yet. As long as you've got everything you need, then you don't need him. And so he came to himself and he ran back toward his father's house. And I love this part of the story. The Bible said that while he was yet... A long ways off that his father came running to him. What does that mean? That means that the father was anticipating a return. He told his servants, go get the fatted calf. Why not just any calf? Because there was a calf that his father had been investing in since he left. There was a calf that his father had been feeding a little extra. And he was saying, there's going to be a feast. We're going to have a celebration because my boy is coming home. And every day, that father would pace back and forth. Did you feed the calf today? Did you invest in the calf today? Have you got all the table ready? We're getting ready to have a party. I feel like telling somebody, God, send me here this morning to tell you that the father has been waiting on the porch and Anticipating your return. He said, go get the fatted calf. The one I've been investing in. And the Bible tells us that he ran. You don't understand what this means, folks. If you understood the culture of that day, it was a shame for a man to run. It was a shame for a man to run. It was indecent. It was not with decency and order that he ran. It was not something that was enjoyable to do as a man to run like that. It was indecent. Some would look at him and say, oh, how foolish is that? And to think that he's being like that over somebody that don't deserve it. He girded up his loins and he ran toward his boy. 
And the Bible said that he embraced him. Oh, I'm so thankful today. I am so thankful that it wasn't when I made it all the way back to the porch and got down on my knees and begged and said, Father, please let me in. Please, please, please let me in. Oh, Father, what, what would it take for you to let me in today? Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't about perfection. It was about a made-up mind. He knew the boy had come to himself. He knew the boy had turned back in the right direction. And when the father saw him, he didn't see him in perfection. He saw him yet a ways off. But he ran to him and embraced him. And he said, we've been waiting on you today. Somebody needs to know in the Holy Ghost today that the Father is still waiting on you. Are you glad he just keeps reaching today? So the Lord told Hosea, he said, go, 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 go take a wife of whoredom. He knew the risk when he tangled up with her. He didn't go find a pure chaste version. He didn't go find a beautiful little girl that he'd known his fam her family all of his life and it was just a good thing moms and dads put it together what a beautiful sight it was oh no he went and got a girl that was pushed back by others there were men in the community that he would never know that she had been with he knew when I put her on my arm and walk her through town there's going to be men that we walk past that's going to know things about her that I, only I'm supposed to know the humiliation. And he walked into the relationship knowing that. He walked in knowing that some people make mistakes and some people start trends. He knew that she hadn't just made a mistake and fallen into fornication. It was a trend with her. It was a lifestyle. It was the way that she lived. It was who she was. It's how she was identified. It was what she was. And he knew that when he attached himself to her, there was a risk of being hurt. He knew that more than likely a woman who had made her living in the night would probably never be faithful to him. Think about it. And the Lord said, I'm going to use you, Hosea, to show my people exactly how I feel about them. A God who took the risk, knowing that more than likely they would never be faithful to him. A God that took the risk knowing more than likely, regardless of what I do, no matter how much I show them I love them, no matter how much manna I bestow on them, no matter how many nights I protect them with a pillar of cloud by, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, they're, they're going to disregard all of that and raise up a generation that doesn't even know me. He said, but Hosea, some things are worth the risk. I need you to take the risk. I need you to walk in knowing that it's not always going to be good. It's not always going to be beautiful. But there's something about this bride by the name of Israel that I love so much that I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to bring her back to me. So the story goes. He said, I don't just want you to marry her. I want you to have kids with her. Now imagine that. You know what kind of pressure that is on Hosea? To leave home, go to work. Say, now boys, just, just watch your mom. She's a good woman. Whatever your mom says, do just do it. Can you imagine? Now I'm like kind of jumping out there a little bit, but. Could you imagine what goes through the mind of a man like Hosea? Every time he leaves the house, what are my kids going to see today? What are my kids going to behold? What's this going to look? I mean, what, what's this going to feel like? What's it like coming home, not, 
Not coming home just expecting a, a, a beautiful dinner table every night, but expecting at any day he could come home and her not be there. The kids be there by themselves because she fell back into the way that she used to be. And sure enough, over time, she ran off and left him. Oh, I could, I could preach. I could, I, I, I could preach the depths of this story. It's so powerful. But I, I want to take you to a place right now that very few of us really, I think, understand about the depths of the love of God. Not only did he take her to wife, but when she forsook him, the scripture leads us to understand that she had finally come to a place that she had lost her value to even the men of the community. She was no longer the, the, the young, beautiful Gomer, the, the new girl on the block, so to speak. A few wrinkles had come. The skin had become leathery. She looked different. She, she wasn't the same. She had bore children and, and, and lived a really rough life. She was just, she was just different. It wasn't, wasn't the same when all the men were done with her, 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 her pimp or whatever you want to call him. He said, well, I guess we're going to trade her out. And the word tells us that someone with the authority to do it took her and sent her to a slave auction. So we're going to sell her out because we're done with her. Folks, that is absolutely the picture of sin. When it's finished with you, you may not be finished with it, but when it's finished with you, they'll sell you out. Oh, man, I wish I had time to preach right there for a little while. There's some of you in here today that understand exactly what I'm saying to you. You jumped in a little deeper than you ever thought you'd go. You ran a little further away than you ever thought you'd run. And when you came to the end of a rope, you found out all your homies that were supposed to be loyal, they weren't loyal anymore. Come on, somebody. When all the good stuff ran out, your homeboys leave you. And now you're at a place all by yourself standing on an auction block. And I wish so bad I could draw you a narrative picture, a beautiful picture. They say that uh, a picture paints a thousand words, but I probably couldn't tell you in a thousand words how beautiful the picture was. On the night of the auction, when she was getting ready to be sold, to become God only knows what. Who knows the abuse that she would have gone through? Who knows where she would have been sold to? Who knows what she would have became? And so the auctioneer steps up and he says, all right, we've got Gomer here. She's had a few kids. She's 45 years old. She's 47, whatever. She, you know, she's, she's been around here a long time. A lot of you know her. So let's get it started. We're going to start with the, the first bid. Who will give me a bid? And the room's dead silent. Nobody's talking. Nobody's saying anything. Nothing. Nobody's saying anything. The auctioneer's standing up there tapping his foot. And he says, man, I'd, it'd be good if somebody would just speak up here. And he, he rings the gavel. All right, who's going to begin the bidding tonight? Who's going to begin the bidding on Gomer? Who wants first dibs? And nobody says anything. Not a word. The room's quiet. Everybody knows her past. Everybody knows who she is, what she's embraced. The room stands dead quiet. When all of a sudden, out of the back row, there slips a man with tears 
dripping off of his chin. He steps to the front road. He says, sir, I'll pay whatever it costs. I'll do whatever I've got to do. But that's my wife. And I'll take her home with me tonight. You just tell me, sir, how much do I owe you? And what's it going to cost? You don't want her back, sir. When she left you, you don't even want to know where she's been and what she's done. I don't care, sir. I love her enough to invest whatever I have to invest in her. I'll give you whatever. And there was a deal that was made. And the auctioneer rung the gavel. And he said, it's over. The deal is closed. And that man took off his jacket. And he wrapped it around that woman. And he put his arm around her and said, I'm taking you home with me tonight. You listen to what I'm telling you today. You may have gone a little further than you anticipated going. But I feel like you need to know there was a man that stepped out of the back of the room and said I don't care where you've been I don't care what you've done I don't care where you've been I love you enough I want you back I don't want to jump off here in the deep end of the pool and lose you, so understand I'm, I'm not going to preach much longer today. I feel like the Holy Ghost really wants to move on somebody today. But in a simple word study, you'll find that the name Hosea, why would God pick Hosea as the prophet to use? Why would God do that? You'll find in a simple word study that the name Hosea means deliverer or, or salvation. And it's derived from the exact same root in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, as the the name Yeshua, salvation. Why would God use a man, Hosea, as a prophet? You want me to tell you why? Because there's power in a name. Oh, God. When Hosea was born, he was born with destiny on him to be the salvation, the deliverer, and the redeemer of a woman that he never knew that he would love. And I'm telling you that on a country hillside of Bethlehem, when there was no room in the inn, there was a man by the name of salvation. His name is Yeshua. His name is Jesus. He was born with a name that is highly exalted above every other name it wasn't because of what he had done it wasn't because of a debt that he owed it was because God is with us Emmanuel he loved us enough to redeem us from the auction block can you imagine the moment in the garden of Gethsemane When he looked into the cup and Yeshua, the Messiah, who had never done a thing wrong, looked into the cup. You can imagine whatever you want. You can believe however you want, but I'm just telling you, in my version of the story, I believe that when he looked over into that cup, he saw me. I believe that when he looked in that cup, I believe he saw my failures. I believe he saw my shortcomings. And when his flesh wanted to quit, 
and his flesh wanted to throw in the towel. He looked into that cup and he raised his face toward heaven. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. The spirit was truly willing. The flesh was weak. But he obeyed the call of the spirit that was within him. And he said, whatever it costs me, if it costs me stripes on my back and thorns on my head, if it costs me being cussed and cursed and beaten, if it costs me putting a crisscross beam of 300 pounds or so on my back and doing my best to walk up a hill after the bones have already been exposed on my back and it's rubbing me raw, then so be it. Whatever I have to do. And he made his way up that hill. And the Bible tells us that when they got him to the top of the hill and they put that crown of thorns on him, that they laid him across that a crisscross beam and they begin to drive stakes through his wrist and through his feet and I'm telling you I don't think there's a way that Hollywood could ever give us a depiction of what he went through I, I'm thankful they tried whatever uh, for, for years and years they've all tried they've all tried to figure it out they've tried to write it in books there's no way you could measure what he went through that day you just hear me out when I tell you he suffered things that he did not deserve and it wasn't because of him it was because of me it wasn't because of what he had done it's because of what you had done and he laid himself and there was no bitterness on his tongue there was no guile in his mouth there was no hatred in his spirit and as they begin to drive the stakes through his wrist and they begin to drive the stakes through his feet I don't know what the world thought was happening and I don't know what the devil thought was happening I think maybe the enemy started celebrating a little early but what the devil forgot is that Jesus had already prophesied he said and if I I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto myself. And they picked him up off the ground. And the journey began to an upright position. And in that moment, hell, be hell began to tremble. Because every sin that you and I would ever commit, the enemy knew I'm losing my grip on them. There is a blood and a name that's more powerful than the sin that they'll ever commit. They hung him high. And they stretched him wide. And when he hung his head, he said the most powerful three words that have ever been spoken in history. It is finished. It's done. I didn't do it because I needed it. I did it for my bride. Because everything else I've tried has never made her be faithful to me. But I wanted I wanted to know that I love her at her worst as much as I've ever loved her at her best. I feel like there's some people here today. As I laid in bed last night, Saturday nights are always a blast. 
when I lay in bed and think about the morning that's coming. And I laid in that bed and I started rolling and tossing and thinking, God, what are you going to say to your people tomorrow? The Lord simply spoke to me. He said, you just tell them, I'll keep reaching. I'll keep reaching. Listen, I know you think you've got it all figured out today. I know you think that the church is just an old-fashioned way. I know you think the church is just something that's it, 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 it's gone by the way. It's not going to happen. But you listen to what I'm telling you. We're living in an hour right now that if it has ever been consequential to make a decision to live for God, we're there right now. I can't tell you that I believe the Lord's going to come back in the next 10 minutes. I can't tell you I believe he's going to come back in the next three months. I'm not going to jump off in that end of the pool today, but I'm just telling you this. We are for sure closer than we've ever been to the coming of the Lord. We're living in a season of time right now where men's hearts are failing them for fear. We're living in a time right now where I figured if we ever made it this far in history that men would be turning their face toward the house of God. And so far, because they figured out alternatives of how to live in false safety. They're living in a false world of protection. But the Lord said, when they start crying to you, peace and safety. You better start looking up. Hey, I'm telling y'all today, this hour has made me so hungry for God. I could care less about COVID. I hope to God it goes away. I hope we don't ever hear about it again. I can't imagine 2025 and our poor kids having to read what happened in 2020. It makes me puke sick. I'm so tired of it. I'm so tired of seeing the fear on people. I'm over. I'm sick of it. But you listen to what I'm telling you. I hear the Lord ask me on a weekly basis, son, if this is not enough to turn people to my house, what else am I going to have to do? You listen to this man of God today when I tell you. You don't believe it, that's all right. You don't have to believe it. But there will come a day that you're going to look back over the opportunities that God has given you to bow your knee at an altar of repentance. And to absolutely relinquish all of your fears and all of your faults to God. And say, Lord, I made a mistake and stepped off the path. But today, you've given me a chance to start over. And if I were you, I wouldn't bypass that chance today. I wouldn't walk past the cross today without bowing my knee at it. If we have ever needed a word from God to meet us right where we are, we need it today. And I'm sure enough in the will of God that I can tell you that the word I've brought you today is absolutely the will of God. God knew who was going to be here. God knew who he's been dealing with your heart. And God sent me to seal the deal with you and tell you he's still reaching for you. He's not done with you. He hasn't washed his hands of you. don't get right with God now are you waiting for seven years to start you waiting for the temple to be finished in Jerusalem you waiting for red heifers to be sacrificed 
I don't know how close you've, you folks watch Jerusalem. Do you know that within the last year, there was for the first time in thousands of years now, a lamb sacrificed on the property close to the Temple Mount. Getting things warmed up. Some people are looking at, oh, how cute is that? It's a drama. I'll tell you right now, folks, he's wrapping it up. Amen. We're getting close. Amen. And any game you're playing with God, you have to ask yourself the question, if you win the game, what'd you lose to win it? How far did we go? I've believed all my life. That it's impossible in this dispensation of grace to outrun his outstretched hand of mercy and grace. But I'm going to tell you what I see in my spirit right now. I see him still reaching. But it's as though I see less of his arm revealed than I've ever seen. It's as though the mercy and grace of God, it hasn't shortened. It's that the dispensation has begun to slowly cover up that hand of grace that's been extended to us. And there is coming a day. I wish I could change it. But it's in the book. That there will be millions and probably billions that will finally outrun the grace of God. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, and I'm not going to take you into a deep Bible study. But please don't ever, don't ever get the two mixed up between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Because the rapture is going to happen before the second coming. The rapture, he's coming back to get the church. The second coming, he's coming back with the church. And there are a lot of people that are waiting on the second coming. They're waiting on the signs of the second coming. But if you're not careful, you're going to let the truth slip by you. That while you were waiting for the second coming, you're going to miss the rapture. I can't imagine the dread in the hearts of some people. If it's possible at the second coming of the Lord, and I believe it probably will be because of things... That are in the scripture about the two witnesses being seen of all the world raising the tree. I believe that it will be possible for news cameras to be rolling during the thousand year millennial reign. And I have to believe that there will be people who sat in apostolic services. Huddled around computers, TV screens. And the whole world will be watching. As that white horse descends out of the heavens. And the word of God is sat there upon. And the flaming sword comes out of his mouth. And behind him will be 10,000 upon 10,000 of his saints. And there will be people that watch that number that day that will say, I should have been with them. But I missed it. Can you imagine the feeling of 
fear and panic as the world just goes on about their business like they have over the last nine months. Everybody's scared to death the first three or four weeks. Now they're like, oh, I'm okay. I'll just put on a mask and go. And as we move closer and closer, I saw yesterday, I'm, I'm trying to hurry, but I saw yesterday Sister Pettigo and Brother Pettigo walked into a place and they said they had new technology at the, at the place they went in. They had to slide their hand underneath the scanner that gave their temperature and they were not allowed to enter the building without putting their hand under to get their temperature read. What, what, what's that mean, Pastor? It's just precaution. It's just safety. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's desensitizing people. Because they're going to say to us, if you want to get on that airplane, slide your hand right under here. If you want to shop at this mall, slide your hand right under here. And here's a scary one. If you want to buy groceries here, put your hand under there. Oh, sorry. You don't have the mark, but you listen to me. After the rapture of the church... It's too late to deny the mark of the beast. If you've missed the rapture, you miss it. But I've got good news for somebody. The trumpet hadn't sounded. The eastern sky hasn't parted. And on this Sunday morning, this cold December Sunday morning, Bishop, I see a hand that's reaching down out of heaven. And he said, I'm still reaching for you. You may have wandered far from me, but I'm reach- I need somebody to just reach up and take me by the hand and let me draw you back.